I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to Hardcore Listing with myself, um, Chrissy Goldtouch. Oh. And me, uh, Stupid Whiffin. Stupid Whiffin. <laughs> uh, this is part two of our podcast with Gary Hayes, uh, f- co-founder of PTSD 999. Um, we're listening to, what you've been listening to, is Gary's story so far and how he came about setting up um, the the charity with his co-founder, Simon. And I think we, we don't need to do any long drawn out um, intros to part two because we don't really want to sort of break up the flow of, of the podcast yep. because part one was as you know it was fascinating insightful dark unpleasant in places and and you know this this continues into part two so um thank you gary for thank coming you on. so much uh, thank you so yeah, much yeah and yeah we'll, we'll leave you we'll get you straight into it now yeah it's a drunken soiree in the within Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast. Um, so when, when, when was you? When was the di- yeah, When was it uh, diagnosed? In two thousand and thirteen, um, and I was I was struggling. I knew I was at that point, um, and basically, I went to my GP because I, I was I wasn't able to control my temper. At work, I was becoming a bit of a nightmare because I would just get into a situation where I would find the biggest, airiest, ugliest bloke and I'll just grip him up. Um, right and that's, that's not a good place to be no. if you're... No. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. And then the drinking. And I'll be colleagues going like... You know. It wasn't until late, you know. We had one incident where <laughs> we had a load of football hooligans coming back from up north and we got this, everyone was getting called to one of the main line stations in London. Uh, I think it was Houston. Um, when we got there, it was like uh, the last sort of film scenes out of Blazing Saddles. You had everyone there. You had the, <laughs> right. you had the Met Police, the City Police. Yeah. We had, even had horses, dogs. It was so many land sharks on the platform. <laughs> it was brilliant. And you got all the roughly tufty cops in their right kit and all ready to go. And then me and my mate turn up. I've got my silly little taser on my vest and I just went mad. I went through all these coppers and I could see the train there in the platform and it's rocking and you could see everyone in there doing their thing. And I'm like, Who, who's in charge? And one of the blokes went, thank Christ you're here, guys. No, you'll sort it out. And that just went ping. So I went over to the carriage that was the most sort of like violent as it were and I said to the, the, the guy on the platform, open the fucking doors. And he's gone, what? Because I swore at him. I never used mm. to do that. And he's looked at me and I said, open the fucking doors now. So he went, oh, all right. So I opened the doors and I could see the bloke I wanted to get. I just focused on this one individual. And if I was to say to you, when I finally pulled him off the train, I couldn't bring him through the, the door as you would normally step out of it. I turned him sideways. He was a bit of a lump. And I dragged him through all the police line and all that, and all the dogs are going ballistic, and I've got him. I put him in the back of the van. And <laughs> my mate came out, he went, fucking old girl. He says, you need to calm down. And I had a go at him, throw him his, his gob. 
And I got in the van, and I sort of, as I sat in, me, in the driver's seat, because this bloke's kicking off in the back of the van, so I could put my blue lights on again and just get him into custody a bit sharpish. I looked at my face, and my nose was round here, and baggy lip coming really? on. And, you know what I mean? You just think to yourself, stand by it. <laughs> got out. Yeah. I opened the back door, and I was like, ah, fuck, you know, closed it, and this bloke lumps and bumps and blood. And we got him into custody. Um, and straight away, the cussy sergeant looked at me. I knew him as a mate of mine. And he was just like shaking his head. And I was like, you know, give it the old, yeah. shit happens. Uh, I went away and did my notes. We got the CCTV downloaded. And the CCTV showed quite clearly that he threw the first punch. And um, yeah, but again, it, that was another realisation for me that I couldn't carry on like that. So I went to the doctor. And my doctor just said, he went, oh, you're ex-army, aren't you? So I went, yeah. He went, oh, you got PTSD. I've just sat down in the chair. How on earth can you diagnose post-traumatic stress? And he went, you're a police officer? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you got PTSD. And now I'm in a, in a quandary because I've got to go and tell my job that I've gone a bit loopy, for want of a better word. How do I tell my job that I don't trust, that I know doesn't really care for me, that I can't cope anymore. Because you think you're going to lose your job? Bang on. And then there's the other side of it, as big airy-ass blokes as we all are in this room now, you've got your pride. Yeah, of course. Then there's a stigma that's attached to yeah. being mental. We, we deal with many people, sadly, with mental health issues, and all of a sudden you're fitting into that Yeah, that exactly, criteria. you just become one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, air and earth... Do you deal with that? Yeah. You know, so there's all all these sort of things going through your head and it's all like, well, I can't tell anyone because I don't trust anyone. So I'm just going to bottle it up. Yeah. And then I'd already at that point been involved a few months earlier in an off-duty matter where I was with one of my, kid, well, my middle lad and I ended up having a big tear-up with this bloke near to where I live. Um... And, you know, rightly or wrongly, my involvement was, um, it, everything sort of happened so quickly. And it, bottom line is I called a job in um, because of the nature of the guy, the enemy's mate, the, the way they were behaving. Um, when the Met Police turned up, they did exactly what I told them not to do and these two guys ran off into the station, which I said they would do. Um, my lad was screaming his head off because the train was coming in and he thought he'd seen one of the blokes get smashed by the train. Train's made an emergency stop. The next thing you can see is his dad, who had just done a 10-hour shift over the Olympics, um, rolling about with a geezer on the edge of the platform. I'm in shorts and flip-flop and T-shirt. I've just saved two little Met cops from being thrown onto the track. And because the guy's trying to bite me, I punch him. Because the law says I can do that. It was lawful, it was proportionate. Mm. Long story short, uh, I find that was in 2000... Uh, when did that happen? 2012. 2013, I find myself at Crown Court with an ABA hanging over my head. Mm -hmm. right. Now, my job allowed me to carry on frontline policing up until about three months before the trial, four months before the trial, knowing that I'd been diagnosed with PTSD because I just told them. So I'm, <laughs> unfortunately, sometimes I'm too honest for my own good. And their way of dealing with me after they took me on frontline duties was to stick me into the fatality investigation team. Oh, so no. where I, you know, where I, sensible, <laughs> where I've been out there scooping up bits of people and whatever else. I was now watching people take their lives through CCTV, the, the CCTV on the trains. Um, yeah, and I went went to Crown Court in 2013, um, and the judge, bless him, I used to love going to Crown Court, so I used to love having a bit of an argument with. Where everyone, um, he guided the jury twice to not guilty verdict, um, but things happened. You know, uh, in two thousand and fourteen, I went back for sentencing, and that's when I was diagnosed by this top forensic shrink, um, and that was on the judge's order because he knew that if I was going to prison, which the likelihood was, I was going to be doing a minimal two-year stretch. Um, a, I wouldn't get the assistance that I needed. And more importantly, I think things would have got worse because I'd have been fighting for my life on a daily business, you know, yeah. a yeah, daily Bill, sort of yeah. thing. Because ex-old Bill in, in prison, yeah. it's not a good place to be. No. Um, 
And when it he allowed me to have Christmas at home, bless him, the judge, um, and we went back for sentencing um, on January the thirty first, two thousand and fourteen. So where 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 are you as a family at this as a family at this point? Like what's rock bottom? Right. My, my wife. I've told my wife I'm going to prison. I've had to sit my boys down and tell them I'm going to prison. How old are your boys at this point? So, uh, 2000, what are we now? 2018. Probably, my oldest lad would have been 15, 16. Middle boy about 14. A little further about 8. Um, so, yeah, you've got all that emotion going on now. Um, and, you know, I'm not in a good place now. I'm not worried about going to prison. I can you know, look after myself. Um, but my worry is what's going to happen to the wife and the Oops. kids. My wife's still a serving police officer, let's, let's yeah. not forget that. And that will, me going to prison will have quite an impact on her role as a police officer. Yeah. But also on me, on me boys. Um, went back for sentencing and I was advised to take a, a bag with me and a toothbrush and a soap and a rope and all the old gags were coming out. It was great. I mean, my mates were brilliant. They were with me the whole week through the trial. And some of my senior officers are good friends as well. Sat with me, and Simon, the other co-founder of the charity, was with me. Um, and when the jury came back with their their finding of guilt, everything sort of stopped. Um, and I'm now in a position where it's like, well, okay. The next part of this is go downstairs, sit in a cell, and get carted off to prison. Now, because of the pre-sentencing reports that were done on me, um, the judge, he read some of it, and it was scandalous. It's no wonder our judicial system is in such a, a bad state, because someone from the CPS had done this file on me and simply copied and pasted somebody else's details on there. Oh, so God. they got me down as a, a monster... A, pr- a prolific reoffender, um, <laughs> you know, and I've I've had to say to my barrister because we didn't get to see this report until twenty minutes till we went back into court. Yeah, um, and say to him, "Well, that's a pile of shit," you know, that's mm. that's not me. And when it was put to the judge, the judge went, you know, through the process of name, date of birth again, which I, you know, given him, and he was like, "Clearly, that's all wrong." So I ended up getting, uh, a, what did I get? Six months suspended for a year. Like the paid individual, I punched 1,500 quid, bless him, um, without being stereotypical, he turned up Crane Court in his best tracksuit. Um, <laughs> and even on the first day, went missing, didn't come back after lunch, and the excuse given was, I was with my bird, wasn't I? You're at Crane Court, you twat. Oh However, um, the jury believed and trusted him, and then after that, I was... Um, 105 hours community service as well which was an interesting development um, and then you know the jury become aware of this this individual's life of criminality and it was from the most petty shoplifting to some quite serious offences yeah but I'd had to fall on the sword I was given a choice that I could go before a panel uh, within my job or resign and if I resigned um, my 11 years service would clearly stop there and then but my pension would be saved and blah 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 so that was the the obvious thing to do Um, a few days after that you know I was sitting indoors and you're given all these bloody phone numbers to ring you know care first which is a mental health thing Um, and I sat there and I've been giving the heads up about talking to these people and I spoke to this lady and bang on what I've been informed, it would be a 30-minute Q&A session, and at the end of that Q&A session, she would say, she would diagnose whether I had post-traumatic stress or not. And she did, and put the phone down on me. I'm at my wit's end there. Oh, she just went, yep, you yep, got it. You See got you later, it. mate. It. Congratulations, bye-bye. Yep. <laughs> it was like winning the lottery. <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, thanks very much. Um, and I sat on the end of my bed, never forget it, crying my eyes out, absolutely bawling like a newborn baby. And I just thought to myself, do you know what, girl? Everyone's better off without you. And I went to a place where I picked up numerous people from fatalities and sat there for ages. And I was watching the trains shooting past me. 
just getting a bottle because no, you must know you must know when yeah where you're guaranteed to do it oh yeah, yeah. So, and i knew oh, that that was tragic, a successful yeah, place yeah. to be for for that outcome and i don't <laughs> i don't know what stopped me but i could see the train in the distance and it was the fast one that i've been waiting for and i just got up and everything was sort of like stopped it's a weird thing to say but it just felt like everything stopped and it looked like the train had stopped and I just climbed over the bit of fencing like the cable run and for a brief second I just thought about the wife and the kids but that was time enough for that train to go hurling past me and sort of like because it's uh, quite a quite a thing with a train going past you at speed mm. and it jolted me out of wherever I was and I sort of just sat on the on the bank cried again and just thought right you've got to get a grip of yourself this ain't going to help anyone and I got home um, and I didn't tell the wife what I'd just tried to do for the last couple of three hours but she could see I was in a bad way Um and then sort of I just stayed in bed for a couple of days because I just couldn't face anyone. That I felt such a failure, you know, I let everyone down. I brought shame upon myself, you know, and my family. Um, and all those emotions that go with that, you know, as I say, I've been this quite outgoing, energetic individual, always up for a crack and a, and a bit of a giggle. Um, so now, just... Morale was lower than the bollocks and a worm, for want of a better <laughs> word. I was in a proper dark place. And I went for some, some counselling, and the chap that I saw was amazing, I've got to say. He was absolutely brilliant. But my job didn't pay for all the sessions that I required. Uh, of, I'd had what they call CBT. Yeah, cognitive um, behavioural therapy. Yeah, yeah. And I went on to have EMDR. Um, which is uh, right. I've got to remember it. It's eye movement desensitisation, and I forget what the R stands right. for now. But that basically takes you back to your original trauma. So we right. spoke earlier about me being abused as a kid. Yeah. It took me back to that point, but then moving forward to the Moultrie, <coughs> um, that's when people say to me, "Where does your uh, PTSD come from?" Well. In my book, it's not from all the death and destruction and dismembered body, mm. uh, bodies that I've dealt with, you know, from old people down to children. Uh, it was simply, um, it was a young, one of the youngest victims um, of the bombings in 2005. Um, one of my duties was like to take the, the deceased through to like they, they organise this like a funeral parlour sort of area where the families could come in and pay their respects. And they put loads of flowers in there uh, and cards uh, so the, the bereaved families could write a message, you know, as you do. Um, and the the Sun newspaper, being as good as it was back in the day, somehow managed to get these grainy passport-style photos of oh. their perceived victims uh, of the bombings. And I never, never used to look at them because it becomes a little bit too personal. Mm. Uh, I remember taking this kid through. Now, all he was, in my eye, was a big set of numbers because that's the big set of numbers that represented him on my yeah. big bag of forms I had to fill in. And as I'm taking him through, um, one of the blokes went, here, gal, do you know his, his old man's coming to view him? I went, oh, I don't want to hear that. Not mm. not interested. Yeah. You know, because I, I, I didn't know he was behind the curtains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his, uh, this individual got this information. He said... Uh, yeah, just lost his wife the other week, and that was his only kid. And I was like, oh, you know. So I took this boy through, and um, I left him in the room, and his, his dad viewed. Um, and then it was for me to go back in and just put the flowers and the card in the body bag, zip him up. But um, I caught sight. of what this uh, gentleman had written on his card for his son. And I just thought, my little one. And, uh, you know, the thought this poor bloke going up to nothing. 
Yeah. And I, I was kind of to my newborn son, yeah. my other two children. And it done me. And I um, I broke every protocol there was. <laughs> I left the body unattended and I went outside and, God, it just, it was like the best sucker punch you could ever get. Yeah. And that's my chronic PTSD. I, you know, it's, sometimes I talk about it um, and I'll get upset and I apologise for getting upset. But, yeah. And when I say it's just down to a few words on a card, yeah. people find that a little bit hard to yeah. take on board because they, they're looking for the the morbid stuff, the, the gory yeah. bits. And yeah. I could tell you yeah, stories. But, but, but what you've said is, is that's the, the human stuff. That's absolutely. Say, it's the yeah. human element. Absolutely. And again, you know, it's hard for people to get their head around that yeah. because they think it's hard. Oh, all the smash bodies and the but as you said the gallows humour kicks in there. Oh, you know, big time. and and you know, I, I get. But when there's a human emotion involved, where yeah. it's written or it's it, it's vocalised, then yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you can desensitise it. Well, you some people could probably desensitise themselves after a while from seeing all the horrible stuff you've seen, but you probably don't always see the second step of no. that, which is what you then read in that on that card. And, and that was it, you know, it, it's words that will stick with me until I spin off. Yeah. Um, mm. But, you know, as we said earlier on, I'm sort of going home on a train, listening to everyone, <laughs> making a... What, pissing them around about the delays? Yeah, and I'm just thinking was to myself... Was that the same day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, um, you know, bearing in mind, say, we were, we were in the mortuary for nearly eight weeks, so every day I'd be going home and then coming and using the service because that was the only way of getting into central London. Some people had hotels to stay in, but for a lot of us, they, they just couldn't get hotels because you imagine the world and his wife was in London at the yeah. time. So, excuse me, it was difficult to get accommodation, so I, I just thought, oh, fuck it, I'll go home. And besides that, the wife needed a break, mm. having three little ankle biters in there. And, and yeah, that was that. And I didn't realise that that was where a lot of my problems sort of stem from. So that's 2005, you know. Um, people that we deal with now, we've got a gentleman who was a very, very young in this service. someone that the charity deals with. Yeah. yeah, so we move forward to the charity. Um, we've got a gentleman who's in his late 70s now who was a very young police officer involved with the Moors murders. Oh. And he was, um, you know, a young cop up in... Up on the moors, searching for the for the children, um, and it's only recently that he's lost the plot a bit, and you know he's contacted us for help. We have the best trauma-focused therapists in the country, and they've all got a minimal sort of ten years' experience. Sure. There's all the information's on our website, you know. Um, so when we talk about longevity and how long. Does it take for PTSD to come through? Well, there's a gentleman from the 60s. Yeah. So I'm no good at maths, but I know that... You I can't was, put a time scale on it. Yeah, I'm 52 now, and I was born in 66, and I believe that's when the Moore's murders or yeah. murders happened around that time. So it's taken this gentleman 50-odd years to realise that he's been struggling. You know, we've got guys who've dealt with Lockerbie. There's a gentleman who's come on board now, um, he was one of the firearms guys at London Bridge and he took two of the uh, terrorists out. God. Um, and that individual is coming on board now as part of our team to do presentations. Um, so we've gone from the 60s through the present day. So how did the, how did the charity come about? So after You mentioned obviously you've been friends with Simon yeah, for a long time. So for Simon and I, after I sort of went to take my own life, um, you know, I just, for a moment, I had a bit of clarity and, and realised that there's nothing in the emergency services to help people struggling because of all the issues we spoke about, the stigmas, the trust. Um, you know, it's no one will actively turn around and go, I can't do it anymore. Me and my mate, we used to go to fatalities and we'd have like a Scooby-Doo punch-up in the van or a car because I didn't want to get down and pick up the bits and pieces. Mm. He wanted to do the log because he couldn't do it. And then once we got there, I'd clearly be down picking the bits and pieces up while you know, my mate was, was doing the log. That's just the way we worked. Um, 
So when a cop, a fireman, a paramedic, whatever, has to sort of turn around and say, I'm struggling, it's almost like the last resort for them because, as we said, you're now looking at going through that door and closing it quietly on your way out because you're losing your job. Yeah. So with that, we've basically set the charity up yeah. and we've, we've sort of said, right, it's for anyone who runs under a blue light, serving retired, immediate, immediate family, uh, family members and support staff. So, you know, post-traumatic stress can come in, in different forms. You don't have to be out there um, on the street dealing with misery. You can be that person in a control room who's listening to that. Take yeah. Grenfell Tower, for yeah, example. Yeah. People, we're, we're dealing with call takers who are not only watching that fire as it's developing on the monitors within the control room, but they're on the end of the phone to the people that are up on them. Stuck. And so they're developing post-traumatic stress vicariously or by proxy, which is simply by the means of watching it, listening to it. They're not physically there, but they will develop the same signs and symptoms as if you was there. So again, it's another side of post-traumatic stress that people again, don't realise. I could watch stuff on TV that will just flip me out and I have to go out. Yeah. Because it just takes me straight back to an incident yeah. or, or something of that nature. Now, this year we've been particularly busy. We've only technically been going for about two years, just over two years. Um, we're a non-for-profit social enterprise at the moment because we're still going through to get our charitable status, which will be coming pretty soon. Um, so the only people that get paid are our clinical team. So <laughs> we've got little pots where people put money in if they wish to. We've got a donate page on the website. You can make a donation should you wish. Uh, and people do little fundraising things for us. But when you're looking at £200 per assessment yeah. and then a minimum of £100, £140 per session for an individual, and we've treated, I would suggest now, over 200 people. That's amazing. It's a lot of money yeah. for a very small organisation. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, we're just another little organisation in a grand world that is charity. Mm. And to ask people to, to look at things is always a difficult, you know, thing to do. So we not only help those individuals, we don't just let them go, we don't forget about them. We, we try and get them processed or assessed as quickly as possible because that's the first step in getting them better. And we don't just forget about them afterwards. We've got another side to the charity where if people are struggling, we try and find them new employment and help them out with financial matters. Up again for me as I was going through that process, I got in debt. I created a world of shit because I just put my head in the sand. Yeah, of course. Because I just couldn't cope with with everything. So, you know, it's there's so many things that can go what you would perceive wrong, and you just put your head in the sand and yeah. it, that will pass. I'll I'll rob Peter to pay Paul and that credit card to pay that credit card, and and that's how it goes. You know, until you're in such a situation where, you know, you know, before I got my diagnosis, I was losing my fight, uh, my wife, my boys, my ass. I knew my career was going out the window, but because I was too proud to talk to anyone, you know, yeah. it, it was just a huge, impactive thing. So, all these things adding up together, as well as the stress and strain of being at work, when you hear of people taking their own lives, I mean, a mate of mine did a couple of years ago used to work with. Just couldn't take it anymore. He knew that we were about, yeah. albeit in our early stages. Uh, and he went over to a local golf course and stretched his neck, you oh, know, yeah. um, left behind a, a wife and two beautiful kids. Um, but again, he just couldn't get focused to, to come and speak to anyone. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff we're doing. We've got, um, hopefully, on the 1st of December... Um, we're releasing a music video which is still being filmed as we speak um, with Dennis Stratton he's a good mate of mine he's a former founding member of Iron Maiden back in the day mm. um, he's a great musician and we're doing a copy of David Bowie's Heroes um, I spoke about my kids earlier on mm -hmm. well my oldest lad who took the brunt of me yeah. he plays rhythm guitar lead guitar he's doing that in the video my middle lad is playing drums um, you know, my nephew's playing bass on it now. His father, um, I served with in the army, 
and he's now a current serving police officer. So, you know, I'm blown away by the effort yeah. of, yeah. of Dennis, but also my boys, when I consider the amount of stuff I put them yeah. through. And so that hopefully will be coming out on the 1st of December video, plus a single. We're hopefully going to get a bit of backing behind it, try and get it to a, a number one for Christmas. Oh, well, we look, yeah. forward, well, we look forward to seeing it. We'll obviously yeah. share it, and we, we know other people who can yeah. help you with that. <laughs> yeah, there's, so, there's, there's little snippets of that on, yeah. our, on our website, and we're on social media, Facebook yeah. and Twitter. Well, we, we'll obviously tag... When this comes out, this will come out probably next week, then um, all the links to your website and yeah, where people brilliant. can donate and things like that, we'll, we'll make sure that that's, that's involved in everything. Um, but sort of day-to-day now, um, like what, what's what's an average day for you now? Um, it's some days, I don't think um, there is an average day. Um, I, I can get up, um, the nature of the job I do at the moment um, it's very often early starts and whatever, so you know, no one likes getting up early and going out and driving and doing what we're doing. Um. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Some some days are better than others. Other days it is a struggle. Now, I've never taken any medication for, for my sort of condition, whatever, or however you want to label it. I've seen too many of my mates turn into walking zombies through the yep. medication. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, I still like a drink, but I've really tried to curb it, other than being with the old guys with the regiment yesterday <laughs> at the Cenotaph. It was a bit of a, a, bit of a long day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are good days and there are bad days. Some evenings, um, I will confess that I will try and sit up for as long as I can because I know some of the triggers that I have now, um, and I know that I'm going to be in for a bad night. And yep. I'm not going to sleep. If I average three to four hours a night, I've done really well. Um, and it's getting better. Um, however, it's still a problem. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, coming into the working week, I can be quite tired. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, you've got all the stuff that you see on TV that, you know, unknowingly you're, you're sat watching something and boom, you find yourself back at a job. The sands, the smells, it's all there. Um, I was going to say, like movies and TV must be quite awful. It, it can yeah. be. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to describe because... And does your, does your, your missus, like, when something comes on, you, can you see your missus sort of trying to think, oh, she, shit, is this yeah, going to... Yeah, she looks... But I, I know that I just need to get up and go out. You know, yeah. um, now a good indicator. Now that my sons are a lot older, they're they're brilliant. It's like you know, you have the relationship with your boys is it's solid. All, we're all getting there again, which is great. really cool. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm so you know thankful for for them just being them really. And they've they've adopted this dark sort of humour as well. They'll <laughs> if I'm going into one, oh, Mr. PTSD's back in the ass, <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah, and they'll. <laughs> They'll drop a few fucks yeah. into me and yeah. whatever yeah. else, and it's it's quite funny. And I'm like, got it, thanks. And I'll go out and I'll put some music on. Yeah. Or I'll just try and answer some emails from people. Yeah, that have contacted us for help. But I'm glad the kids have got it. 
are sort of that right crack on you know what you got to do um well you know we went to <laughs> my youngest lad before he started his comprehensive you go around looking at the schools as you do and um, we went back to funny enough my wife's old school um we're having a look about and one school's very much like the next isn't it um we went up into the science block and as we gone upstairs all of a sudden i was like Phew. and off the color drained out of me and she's looking at me and she's you're right and i went oh is that smell Oh, oh, fucking hell. And then, as we looked in, there's half a dozen rats that have been dissected. Yeah. Oh, and it was, you know, normally I wouldn't even bat an eyelid, yeah. but you're like, whoa. Yeah. And I had to sort of go, she was so apologetic. I said, oh, no one, <laughs> yeah, we didn't see that one coming. No, no, it's yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. But so that, again, it, it can be something as silly as that yeah. that can set you back a wee bit. Um, and, you know, you've just got to try and focus and, right, I know how to deal with that now, um, and I'll, I'll do this instead. Um, so yeah, it's uh, every day. Thankfully, is is different. There's there's not too much um, monotony in what we do, but sometimes it is a bit of a struggle to to keep focused. Um, and if I'm having a particularly bad day, I'll just you know I will take myself away. I mean, some people go down the gym. Clearly, I don't. <laughs> um, Whereas Simon, bless him, he's got right into a bit of a fitness regime yeah. now. He's looking really good. Yeah. He's lost a lot of weight, um, and he's getting back to being his old, almost para self. We uh, we we uh, done a podcast with Frank Bruno. All oh, right. And uh, and he's never took. He's refused meds now, hasn't he? And for his mental yeah, health, and he trains yeah, and trains yeah. and trains and trains. And, yeah. And uh, and he says it's all for him. It's it's. It's, he's really training, isn't him, it? Yeah, he's, he's like a unit now. Like, yeah, yeah. He's, he looks lethal even now. <laughs> yeah. he's, you know. Well, funny enough, I should have been at a charity function tonight that he was hosting. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, Dennis invited me, and um, it was like there's something about the 12th of November that I've got to be somewhere else. <laughs> I know where I've got to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you so, what. You know, it's like, just. Uh, but, you know, getting people, now the, the charity that they're dealing with is looking f- to help children with disabilities get involved with sport and that. And, you know, when we talk about post-traumatic stress, you know, we look at him and we, we think about the army. So when people were that me and Simon are both former servicemen, oh, it's just another bloody help for heroes thing. Mm. Well, if that's your interpretation, but it's for our emergency services. Mm. And, you know, I often say to people, you know, you've got your own choice and thought process. But if I was to put it to you in this sort of way, next time you're sat in queue of traffic and you hear or you can see yeah. blue lights and the sirens coming up, it's not for the fact that the blokes, whether it be in a police car, a fire appliance or an ambulance, are late for their refreshment break or they want to get off duty or simply don't want to sit in traffic. Because I make this quite clear, you know, as police officers, we never ever did that because you're breaking the law, you're not above the law. <laughs> Um, but they could be potentially going to a job that will change their lives forever. And yeah. as Joe Public, we're just sat there thinking, Tuck. really. Thinking about ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And these boys and girls are going to a job which invariably could, not necessarily that, that moment in time, but over a period of time could change their lives. And those around them. And it's, you know, PTSD isn't just restricted to the, the sufferer, the immediate family members. None of my family knew I was suffering. My mum and dad would come around. It's not like cold, is it? You don't just go, no. oh, you're being a bit miserable, a bit shouty, you yeah. must have PTSD. Yeah. There could be a hundred reasons why you're shouting or drinking or being Absolutely. Sad. You know, and my mum and dad said, um, clearly they only found out a couple of years ago that I was struggling. And they went, where did you hide it from us all those years? I was like a good drunk. <laughs> you know, you, you, you become a good actor. Yeah. You don't let on that you're, you're struggling. You know, until everyone's gone away, and then you you crumble. But not you know a little thing I do now on my Facebook is um, I put words on a bit of paper on on a computer, and it comes out allegedly like a bit of a poem. People like what I do. Um, to me, it's just words, but it resonates with a lot yeah. of people. So my next step is to get myself down to the gym clearly and get back into those 32 inch waist jeans <laughs> um, but yeah you know to get back to, to being fit because being fit is quite key you know you, you look at your diet plan and you know you, you, 
your mental health benefits from you being fit. Yeah. And, and everything you associate with being fit, so it's healthy eating, you know, and it, it gets you in a good place. I've, I've seen a huge change in Simon, um, and it, it is something to... Uh, I'm glad he's not here because he, his head would swell. You know. <laughs> um, but you know, looking at him now, he's he's getting back into being the, as he would put it, the maroon machine that he once was, um, and you know that's his focus and that's good. You know, he still has incredibly bad days. He would he'll phone me up once a month, once every other month, and tell me that's it. I've had enough. And he's going to go and kill himself. And we yeah. wind each other up. We bounce off each other. You know, the man's had three heart attacks. In his only early forties, um, and then I worry terribly about him because I need to understand the business before he's, he pops off. Um, <laughs> but you know he's he's working hard, and, he, and his way with dealing stuff is through his fitness now. So you know, so a lot of people um, go down that avenue. We've got a guy who's um, putting stuff onto our site for us. He's a, a personal trainer. Um, his name's Jonas, and he's. Uh, Basically, he's uh, lost one of his legs. He was born with a, a deformed leg as a kid, and he's a Paralympian, and he's the most amazing geezer. Mm. And he's just gone to, to work and live out in Spain, um, but he's doing little podcasts for us and all that. And he's just got the physique of a god, albeit with <laughs> one leg. I mean, if you you don't do what he wants in the gym, you'll get that artificial leg out yeah. and bash him around and you know what I mean? But if you want inspiration, yeah, there's you know, look at Jonas uh, and. We're surrounded by a lot of good people, and we're only, you know, something I've always had through my life. I'm only as good as the people around me. Yeah. yeah. And when we've got such good people, you know, some businessmen who want to help us out and, and look out for us, and, you know, without them and their support, we, we wouldn't be able to help the people that we're helping because we couldn't clearly pay for it. We as a charity cover everything. You're, you're doing a music video. What other fundraisers and what other bits and pieces? We had uh, earlier on in the year. We had the the mayor of Cambridgeshire and Bedfordshire. Um, he had his inaugural ball, and I believe we raised somewhere in a region of about fourteen thousand pound. Sounds a lot, being a great scheme of things. It's not, but it's you yeah know, been really helpful. We get we had some lottery funding which has been good but yeah. again it comes in and it goes we had uh, last year a uh, good mate of mine uh, Andy McNabb the old SAS guy yeah. um, he come on board as a patron and we had a night where he made a bit of money selling his bloody books again and talking about himself <laughs> pretty much I'm doing them here um, <laughs> and we had a, an amazing night uh, in Cambridge that's where Simon lives um, in a friend's hotel um, and we raised a lot of money. Um, and for Andy, a sort of turn around and wherever he can possible, he, he talks about us because, again, the focus is always around our, um, armed services, and rightly so. You know, a few years that have gone by with current theatre, or the, the theatres that were there then, you know, the boys and girls coming back with terrible injuries. You know, it's taken us over 100 odd years to recognise PTSD. Yeah. All we've done is rebadged it. It's not shell shock anymore. Shell shock. Yeah. It's right. PTSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the a very old law. When I say the the law is an ass, the the vagrancy act, uh, the vagrancy act. I'll say that again. Um, that was introduced, I think, in blimey, 1847. I probably got that entirely wrong, but it was around that time. So you know, it was a few years after the Napoleonic Wars and whatever. Right. So all it was was that, dare I say it, the gentry didn't like seeing servicemen begging, yeah. going out their minds on drink, just walking up and down, muttering and being, you so know. So I couldn't put anything together, could they? No, they didn't because there was nothing, you know, well, clearly we've moved on to a point since the Napoleonic Wars and, and all the other wars that have happened since then. But because we're really good as a community in burying stuff we don't want to see, and know about so that act was brought in so the police of the time could just scoop these blokes up and throw them in jail so they got rid of the problem no one sees it then and this is the thing we're sort of experiencing now with emergency services one day they'll they'll wake up and go well yeah it is because these people are subject to so much trauma on a regular basis that we need to put things in place it's going to be a it's, 
it's a re-education. Do you yeah. think they're awake? It's just that they like a lot of them bury their heads in the sand because of the absolute financial implications. Like, like you say, the care that's required and psychology and counselling. Because you get bad counsellors. Like, I've gone through mm. counselling for a variety of things, and and I know like within a couple of a couple of sessions with a certain counsellor, like I'm like you don't feel like you're worth your paper and, and other people I'm like oh, wow that yeah. you you really care about what you're doing yeah. and it's so difficult because it's so, like with medic with a lot of like things with broken limbs and that rehabilitating there is like well we know what we need to do here and we know yeah. the time frame of that is going to be this and then it's done yeah. this is such a big well of investment and for us to learn and know about it it's like yeah. it must be overwhelming even for them even if they do know about it, to be like, well, you know, and how do we sell this role to new people who want to come in and well, work on it in ambulances? Absolutely. Or in the force, um, yeah. You know, as I said, we all know that at some stage during your career, you're going to deal with an old person that's fallen over and sadly died as a result of a heart attack. <sighs> but you'll have to do CPR on that person. Yeah. And again, you can watch your Vinnie Jones advert, Stand Alive, mm. and all the rest of the kit. When you're actually doing CPR on someone and you know when you've got it right because you break the sternum yeah. you hear that crack and you're pumping away we had a poor old girl oh, drop dead on us in, in Liverpool Street Station and her, her husband was there and I, I, my perception of him was he was an ex-military gentleman um, he spoke very well he dressed very well and he clearly was you know and when I broke his <coughs> wife's chest she was clearly dead but I couldn't say that because I, I can't um, and I'm pumping away, and he's like, what on earth's that noise? Don't worry about that. And the poor arms are flailing about, and you know I'm now mouth to mouth, and then back to the chest pumps. And, uh, you know, for that poor gentleman, he thinks his wife's going to be okay. When you're doing CPR on someone, you've got to be lucky to, to get them back, and I've done that numerous times. Fucking um, And I would suggest... One in twelve, I might have been fortunate enough to to sort of bring back, but as a result of the condition they had, they subsequently died. So, you know, you can't. You're glad you out, aren't you? Of course you have. You know, um, so you know, there's loads of stuff that, you know, again, it's taking those sort of hits on board. You know, being in in the back of ambulances when they're on the blue lights and you're doing that same thing that someone has just been stabbed trying to keep them alive they're dead and they're kids but what do you do you know you just got to dare I say it crack on mm. and mm. I remember a young young PC she hadn't been with us all that long and after that incident at Liverpool Street um, we were starving hungry we used to use a, a Chinese restaurant around the corner and we got in there, and all the emergency services used to use it is in Bethnal Green. It's, it's no longer there now. And the waitress come up, and we're, we're sitting in uniform. We were encouraged to do that. Um, and the first thing she said, would you like the usual? So we said, yeah. And she brought out a plate of ribs. <laughs> and this poor WPC was with us. She went ballistic. And we're like, just, we're hungry. Don't get the personal thing yeah. to it. Yeah. But it's the easy thing to say. Yeah. Because yeah. we're blokes, and we're being yeah. roughly tough. Yeah. 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 But the impact is, you know, subsequently later on in life, it's difficult. And as I say, you know, you, I can pick a paper up. Yeah. This year has been quite something with the being the first anniversaries of everything that happened last year. It's you know, crazy, mate. I was listening, Gary, on the uh, on the way, not over, but tra- driving back from London today and listening to some um, testimonies from people. Yeah. Um, and it was it's one thing when you hear it and you see it in the papers at that point, but then when you listen to people's testimonies, like... This uh, this officer whose job it was was to stop people trying running back into the buildings, mm. and like he was like explaining how the fire like he's been to loads of fires and how the fire wasn't like regular fires no. like he's seen loads of houses burned down and he said it was like a jet that out this window it felt like a jet engine. It was like firing out like that. And he said yeah. the way the rest of the building was catching fire was just faster than like yeah. he's seen others. And like he had to literally uh, wrestle a 60-year-old bloke to the floor because he was desperate to get in, but yeah. he reckoned, you know, probably saved his life from doing it. But you start hearing all these accounts and you think, fuck, Jesus, man. Like, and you've walked past shocking. that person in the street that mm. was wrestling with them people and wouldn't know him from Adam and wouldn't have an idea what was going on in his no. head. No. And if he was acting a bit, 
irrational from what people perceive as the norm. Yeah. You know, people will be like, oh, fucking hell, what's his problem? Do you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. give him the time of the day when yeah. the harsh reality is he's probably dealing with something that none of us could even comprehend. No. Yeah, you know what I mean? I When we had the um, the beginning of last year, we, I think it's we had the Croydon tram crash derailment where a number of people died. Um, and dare I say it, had I been in the job, if I'd have been called to that job, you know, there was uh, an individual been uh, sadly decapitated, um, others with, you know, uh, crush injuries and stuff like that, um, which was our sort of our normal routine. Yeah. But there was a lot of young cops there who had never, ever experienced anything like that. And you can only begin to imagine what was going through yeah. their, their minds with that. And then, you know, you've got the bombings, or the stabbings, I should say, of, you know, Westminster, London Bridge, and then all the stuff with Grenfell. And each time something like that came on the news, it broke my heart because I was watching my colleagues doing what they do very, very well, running forward whilst everyone else is running away. Um, and again, it's the right thing to do, trust me. Mm. Don't run towards it unless you really have to. Mm. Um, and it just made me feel ill because I wanted to be there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was, if you remember, when you watch the old TV sort of cop shows and all that and there's a murder scene and all the rest of you, mm. the guys in the white suits, well, I was a, a trained DVI, which is basically I'll go in and forensically remove dead bodies and, and bodies and whatever else. And, you know, when I look back on that, you know, every time I see something like that on TV, it will take me back to a, a certain time and place or a job. And, you know, it's hard for me to deal with because all I've, in my life, I've been good at a couple of things, where playing smoke up my chuff. Um, <laughs> one was football, but I threw that in to become a soldier. And apparently I was all right at that. Um, did other stuff in between that. And then I joined the police and apparently I was all right at that as well. And it was a career I loved doing. And it was cut short for whatever reason. Um, but I, I find a lot of pleasure there. And it's quite cathartic for me in respect of when I speak to people that phone us up who want help or email us. Um, so I'm not a clinical specialist, I'm mm -hmm. not a doctor. But I can give those people the benefit of my experience. Yeah. And I know we're helping them. You spent you spent long enough in and around it. In. Oh, blimey, yeah. You know, mm. it's um, knowing that we are doing the right thing, and not only for that individual, but their families. You know, and I can't stress enough. I put my wife and kids through hell. Both my sons have had to have therapy themselves. I didn't know about that, um, but that's as a result of my behaviour. Mm. You know, um, and again, it really upsets me knowing that two young men about to experience that because yeah. of my behaviour um, and I, I don't sort of say this lightly because it's a you know I, I sort of use it as a, as a tool to beat the job up I'm not but if my job had had uh, a bit more time and experience in recognising the signs and symptoms of what I was going through who knows I might still be a cop now yeah, yeah. you know um, mates of mine who, who dealt with stuff uh, some of the big major train crashes over the years you know it, it, it's a bizarre thing when I sort of said about setting this up with Simon it sort of gave a lot of people a voice and guys that had struggled with some of these huge train crashes back in the, the 80s and whatever else then as you sort of can you know I'm screwed you know some a lot of them had to leave the job because of their irrational behaviour or job-related stress and anxiety, well, it's not. It's They've got yeah. post-traumatic stress. Um, and it's been far too late for them to be able to sort of rein it in and crack on and, and, and keep focused, you know. Um, so, again, what we try and do as a, a little organisation is we've got some training packages together. We go out and do presentations to the emergency services. Um, we've got a training package around mental health and wellbeing, which is overseen by... Our head of our clinical team is a gentleman called Professor Jamie Hacker-Hughes. And he's the top bloke in the world of psychology. 
and he oversees everything. He's an ex-squaddy himself. Uh, he used to do all the mental health issues within the, the armed forces. Um, he's probably the best in Europe. So we've got some bloody good people overseeing what we're doing because we need them. Yeah. Because we're dealing with mental health. You know, and you, you can imagine if something goes wrong, and we've lost a, a couple of people over the last couple of years. We we know that we can't save everyone. Yeah. Because that's that's fact. Yeah. But as long as we're following what they call the NICE guidelines, um, which is the National Institute of Clinical Excellence um, from the NHS, as long as we're, we're following that, and you know, Professor Hughes is happy with what we're putting out there, that's good enough for us. And we, and we need to be watertight with that uh, to ensure that people A, get the best treatment, best assessments, and we give them the best opportunity to get themselves back on their feet. Gary, yeah. I mean, if what had happened to you hadn't happened, then <clears throat> you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now, and there'd be other people without that support yeah. thing. So, mm. you know, that's a that's one sort of positive from that. Is yeah, that sure they're doing that now? Or how long would it be until someone goes through a similar set of circumstances as you and then decides to do it in the future? You yeah, know, so. do you know what? It's a very good point. I got asked that earlier on in the year. We <laughs> doing a presentation for... Uh, met firearms unit and this, this guy stood up and he made me look like Twiggy and he was all muscles in his like <laughs> 10 month old t-shirt you know what I mean it was muscles pumping out everywhere and he was just a stereotypical firearms bloke <laughs> and I sort of looked at him and I thought here we go and he, and he said exactly that why has there not been anything put in place until now and I'll just openly apologise to the forum there's about 120, 130 boys and girls in there and I went, I went mad too late in my career, or too mad in you know, yeah. too late in my life. <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd gone mad yeah. or mad yeah. uh, earlier, yeah. because then we would have been quite well established yeah. now, yeah. you know, and we would have seen things. And because it's a, it's a, it's um, it's like a living thing what we're doing. Every day is different, and you're growing. Mm. You don't want to grow too quickly because it might run away from you. And you know, we, we just try to make sure that we keep everything at a sensible level. Yeah. I think things will kick off in December when the video comes out and that. It's a, it's a great cover, if I say so myself. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, when people know about why the boys are in it, Dennis does a lot for other charities and all that, but he's clearly, again, was really focused on the fact that PTSD is only for uh, armed services. Yeah. He's realised now, no, it's not. Um yeah. So when people, I think, are able to distinguish between the emergency services and the armed services, and to be fair, you get a huge crossover yeah. from the yeah, armed forces into the emergency services. So people are going to be coming with their own bit of baggage, but clearly dealing with the trauma sure. that we do, and they do. Now, I can guarantee you, probably today, somewhere in the country, someone has been hit by a train, and someone's at the game to deal with that. You know, it's it's something to think about. But we just hope that, you know, people will see us for what we are. Um, you know, it's it's a work in progress. And I hope that coming on here is going to help that progress and, and some more people will pay attention to yeah, what, what you're, you're striving very, to do. Yeah, I'm and, extremely uh, grateful for, you, for the invite. But, no, yeah. I, I yeah. can't yeah. say how much of a privilege it is to sit and you speak so honestly oh, and, and candidly about, you know, what what you've experienced it's, yeah so it's, it's a massive eye opener um, there's things there that what you've talked about Gary and even before when she said we had your honour and it said you were in the armed services and, the, and then emergency the, the, the transport police and I was like yes yeah, so obviously this has been triggered from war and it's oh no it's not no, no it's not it's mm. what, what stuff in the UK <laughs> yeah. that can't be that tragic and then you start talking about those tents yeah. for, for, for the bombings and you think bloody hell and it was eight weeks you know, it's um, you have a whole raft of stuff that you do, um, and I say the the people in the services now are doing the same as I did mm. four years plus ago, and they'll continue to do it because they're good at what they do. You know, um, and it's we know that 24/7, 365 days a year, the boys and girls in our emergency services will go out and do some of the most amazing stuff in preserving and saving life and limb. But what's there for them? And it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, and it's, it's not credit to, 
to the horror that you've gone through. It's, it's part of the horror that you've gone mm. through that is now giving them somewhere to go when they experience that. And so that's that's something that you know you should be really proud of because it's it's, it's an achievement. It oh, really is you. to be able to put something like this together and to be able to come on and stand in front of people and sit in front of microphones yeah, and for sure. talk about it. That can't be an easy thing. Um, no, <laughs> um, you know, obviously I got a bit upset earlier on. Um, I'm, I'm not a public speaker. Yeah. Um, and I do struggle when we, we go and do these presentations, um, because it's just not me, but because there but is... But you're you and there's a lot yeah, to be said mm, for people being who they are. And I, I think and that, that, that comes across. And I'll be honest with you, I think that perhaps that's why, um, although we have a, a presentation that we use and it's death by slideshow and all the rest of it and PowerPoint. Um, we only use it as a reference. Of course. Because we're telling people our story. Sure. And clearly you need to be a bit bit candid with what you say to some audiences as you might to others because I can assure you now that every time we do a presentation, people get up and leave. Mm. It's not because we're shit. Mm. Well, that's my fault, anyway. Um, you keep telling yourself yeah, that, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because it's because we've hit a raw point with them. We've hit we've hit something. We've triggered it. You know, and we often when we've done uh, the presentations, um, you know, on the way home we'll we'll laugh and joke about how shit we were and we could have done this, we could have done that. But I kid you not, when you're, it's almost. Um, I can only liken it to Beatlemania. Mm. We get mobbed by people coming up, saying very kind things. If you, mm. as you both said tonight, about what we're doing, but also with with people who you've just hit so many triggers for them. Yeah. They, can I have a word with you? Can I do this? And it's it's a very humbling experience mm. because all I've done is told them some stuff about me and what I did, um, because they're invariably doing it on a daily basis anyway. But you're just giving them. Um, I don't know. You're opening another door for them. Letting them know that they're not experiencing it on and their that, own. I, th yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, when we go for, you know, through the top five. The, one of the other big things as well is that people need to know they're not alone. Mm. You feel you are, clearly. Yeah. But, you know, you're not. Yeah. Um, emails that I could show you, and it's, they're so sad. But all I say to people is this look, you're not alone. Here's my personal mobile phone, uh, phone number. If you wish to contact me, if you want to talk, even if it's just to throw a few words down the end of a telephone line, I'll get it because I've got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand. Same yeah. as Simon. And you know what? For a lot of people, that's all they need to do. Yeah. Just get it off their chest. And I'm not just, you know, showing a little bit of empathy because we can. It's because I actually get it. Yeah. I know what I put my family through. Um, and when you've got people crying down the phone to you or we're doing presentations and they come up and, you know, you've got a shoulder full of snot and tears, you know, it's, I struggle with it. But you know but you're doing something right. We're doing the right thing. And, you know, to know that, um, I'll give you a quick example. We did one presentation and this guy got up and went and the, the lady who'd organised this event it was for the Met Police. Um, she came up to us afterwards and said, Gary, can you come and speak to so-and-so? I was like, yeah, all right. Um, he was going to go and kill himself because mm. we had inadvertently triggered so many things yeah, for him. Yeah, yeah. And I had to spend... I was with him for about an hour and a half in, in a medical room. And again, I'm not clinically trained. No. But just to let that man get that off his chest... Yeah. Light and, and light, give him, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And do you know what? We walked out almost like best mates. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's doing really, really well. That's because there's know. a connection, right? Absolutely. He's been, you know, he's feeling yeah. what you're feeling. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't need to come to us for any sort of intervention. He just phones me up now and again. And he'll, he might swear down the phone at me or we'll have a bit of a giggle. But he's doing really well. He's still doing a job that he likes doing or he loves doing. Um, and, you know, to think that had we not had that brief bit of intervention, who knows? Yeah. But you know, we, we need to get this out there to the general public now to to understand and realise that, you know, your boys and girls in the blue light family are struggling. Well, I mean, we normally say to people, our listeners, you know, give us your top fives. 
yeah. uh, when we put this out on, twi- on Twitter. It probably wouldn't be the most import- appropriate for them to no. give their top five PTSDs, <laughs> but we will ask um, our guys to share it. Yeah, or, uh, and you know, and you know, come the single time, and that we'll we'll be pushing it, and hopefully, uh, our share the video. Will help you out with it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I so say on our website, uh, on our social media, on the Facebook, and all that, just type in PTSD nine nine nine, and there's little cheeky snippets of some very rough cuts yeah. um, of the video um, or parts of the video. So Simon's been out today with the East of England Ambulance Service, doing some pretty good stuff. He was up in Wales. Um, last week with South Wales Police Dave some contacts that we've got there did some amazing stuff and I think this week as well he's going to be doing some pretty good kit with the Met Police um, in and around central London I won't give too much away because it's bored a video um, but there's going to be some pretty good stuff going on to that which will lead to to the video to the main story of the video and we're hoping to do a short film as well uh, again just to show people, you know, what the experiences of our Blue Light family are. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, we're not looking for, to say, the old man-sized box of tissues to come out, but it's just to give people a bit of a better understanding. I don't know if you saw it last night, that film footage of uh, the Peter Jackson, where he's just done about the First World War. No. Incredible. A few people I know went to the cinema, he's had some yeah. one-off showings for oh. here. Absolutely amazing, where he's turned all this old black and white stuff into colour, put voices to it, and, well, to see what those Mm. men and boys... Boys. Yeah, Yeah. endured during that period, and that's all we want to do, is just get that awareness out there, you know. All right, well... Gal, thank you so much, mate. Thanks for having me, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's it's been a massive eye-opener, and, and, yeah, it's, it's... it's been pretty uh, emotional, right? Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, well, all the best to you, mate. And Thank um, you. Yeah, no, look forward to hearing the video, well, seeing the video and hearing the tune as yeah. well. Yeah. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Cal. Great. Thanks for having us, guys. Thank you. There you go. That's the end of part two. Um, as we did say at the very beginning of this, it's, it's probably one of the most powerful podcast that we've been part of definitely um, yeah. you know the fact that we didn't we threw a few questions in there but a lot of that was just listening from our behalf and i, I think rightly slow um rightly so yeah it was an absolute um privilege to be able to sit there and, and listen to that yeah thanks um, gary and so yeah thank you very much gary thanks to you for listening um before we finish all we can say is just go over um, to Gary's website that, or, or Facebook profiles or, or, or any social media uh, for that. We will tag it in everything that um, we do. So go over there, follow it, like it, share it and show a bit of love yeah, um, because the whole point of this episode was to, to bring attention to, to the work that Gary and, and, and Simon are doing. For sure. And um, keep their eye out for their, their single coming in December. And yeah. um, We really appreciate everyone listening. And, it, and, and if anybody listening thinks that they might have anything similar going on that 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 gary spoke about in this then by all means reach out to them via their website because yep. um that's that's the reason they're that's there. what they're there for ptsd 999 yeah. okay see you next time it's a drunken soiree in the within chris and Stu present our core listing the podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.